Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Father, we love you. We thank you for today. Lord, we've reached the end of this series called Weird. And I have a feeling we're going to be back on it someday in a whole nother weird way. But today, we've reached the point of the Sermon on the Mount that you preached a long time ago to where you wrap everything up and it's a little unsettling for some. For others, it's the beginning of breakthrough and life and a line in the sand. Today, Jesus, I pray that you would open our ears to hear and our hearts to receive, but I especially pray that you would anoint me. Lord, I thank you. I love you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Have you ever felt judged? Have you ever felt someone was judging you. Come on, I just, want, I just want to see. Have you ever been judged by a follower of Jesus? Has anyone ever judged you and brought in Jesus into the conversation or what other people would call, did they ever play the God card? It's like you can't argue when someone plays the God card. Well, I was praying for you the other day. Well, quit praying for me. Today, we are at the end of the Weird series, and I think it's been pretty incredible if you ask me. Jesus has really taken us on a big journey, and for some of you, this will be the first time ever in your life that you've ever completely read, read through the Sermon on the Mount. And I just want to say, from me, congratulations. That's a really big accomplishment. You should put the date next to the Sermon on the Mount in your Bible. And if you don't have the Bible, we want to give you a Bible after church and we'll put the dates on it. And you can just go back and remember the day that you completed the Sermon on the Mount. If you have your Bibles, go to Matthew chapter 7 today. And this is Jesus wrapping up his manifesto. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. And it's everything that he came to teach us about, about how his kingdom, his father's kingdom was going to run and be established. And he covers some incredible things. But today, this is going to be a little shocking. It's going to be an eye-opener for a lot of us because maybe you thought Jesus said this to only find out that Jesus did 
say a little bit of what you were taught, but you didn't get the big picture. And this is the full teaching. And let me just tell you real quick. Matthew chapter 7, from my 24 years of pastoring and then evangelist on top of that, years of teaching, I have never preached Matthew chapter 7 all the way through. And if you look at your Bible, you'll see there's a minimum of seven sermons in Matthew chapter 7. Guaranteed, a minimum of seven sermons. And today, I'm going to do something I've never done before. I'm going to preach and teach today all of Matthew chapter 7 in the 30 minutes that they've allotted for me to teach today, okay? And the louder you get in my sermon, the shorter the message gets, okay? So the reason why I'm telling you this is because in this whole series, we've looked at the normal life and the weird life, okay? But in it, we've focused on what did Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? And we've leaned in to the exact words that he preached on that day because his words are the most important words. And so the reason why I started off my message by asking if anybody's ever been judged is let me talk to two groups of people. If you're in the room and you're not a believer, you have not <coughs> excuse me, chosen to follow Jesus yet. It's not something that you've made a decision, but you are very interested in Jesus. You think that Christians are very weird and it's a good kind of weird. You may say something like, hey, I hope that my daughter marries a Christian someday. Hey, I hope my son marries a Christian someday. Gosh, it'd be great to have a Christian in the family because they're just good people. They're honest people. They, they live a weird life, a life like nothing I'd ever live, but I just really admire them. Maybe there's enough pull today for you to stop and think, why are they so weird? And this Sermon on the Mount is from our leader, Jesus, who says some things that maybe you've never heard before. And I would like for you to lean in and I'd like to ask you the question, have you ever felt judged? And what do you know about being judged? And I bet there's a few scriptures you know, but one of them would be, we don't judge. Don't you judge me. It's usually how it comes out. You've used that one like you've read the Bible from Genesis to Revelations and you know as well as I do, you haven't picked your Bible up your whole life. But you are quick to say, but the Bible says you don't judge. Don't you judge me. Don't you judge me. You can't judge. And I would like for you to really pay attention today because you're not going to hear my words. You're going to hear Jesus' words. And I'd like to talk to the other group in the room. Everybody who has decided to follow Jesus. And maybe you would go, we're not supposed to judge, right? We don't, we don't judge. Really? And maybe you're like the guy not following Jesus. You haven't picked your Bible up in a really, really long time. And the reality is that today's message is all about judging. All about judging. And a lot of us in this room have felt the eye-piercing stares or the, or the words that cut deep to where we felt like people were judging us in some form or fashion. But today I'd like to look at this life-giving story, this, just, this sermon that Jesus preached. And to kick things off, I just want you to know that today has everything to do with weird, specifically judging. 
we're going to talk about this whole chapter 7 within all the stories and all the things Jesus said, it can all be pointed to the path of judging. And the interesting conversations that can take place after we allow an examination of ourself take place. Now, I'm going to give you the themes. And today we're going to cover three key themes that are found in Matthew chapter 7. Here's the first one. Our Father is always watching. And everybody go, ooh. Okay, and it's not supposed to be an ooh. This isn't an ooh, this is a ah. Your father, of course, he is watching. He's watching like any father would watch. Like a father watching his kid by the swimming pool. He is constantly watching. Like a father watching a kid at a football game. He's constantly watching. Like a father watching his kid in complete admiration and just the awe of watching your children. Uh, you, you, you look at other kids and you go, ooh. But you look at your kids and you go, ah. And, and it's this beautiful moment that we realize your father is watching you. I think it would cause a lot of us to not be so insecure. And less insecure. And less fearful if you just got the reality that Jesus in Matthew chapter 7 starts off by saying, your father is watching you. But it also comes with a warning. The other part that we're going to teach on today and we're going to talk about is life is not about what men think of us, but what God thinks of us. Life is not about what other people think of you, but life is about what your father thinks of you. And this statement right here really guides us in understand healthy judging. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Not only are we going to talk about our father is always watching you and life not being about what men think about us, but what God thinks about us, we're also going to talk about this big one. And it's a heavy one. But we're going to talk about the final judgment. Because it is as real as us being here today, every one of us will be measured, weighed, and the most important part is you will be rewarded with an amazing crown that really we don't know the details of, but it must be a huge, huge thing to be able to look at a person's life and to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant, to know that no one in this room is going to get it perfect but to be able to stop and pause in the same way that we would examine a harvest to see if it was successful, we have examined our life to make sure that we're pointed in the right direction to live the best life that God has for us. Are you guys interested in today? Yes. I'm gonna preach fast. It's gonna be furious. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, buckle your seatbelt. Here we go. It's going to be fun. Heck, it's my birthday. Let's go open presents. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Jesus says this, judge not that you, uh, that you be not judged. And everybody goes, whoops, Ty, you screwed up there. Here it is. You should not judge. Time out for you little uh, Bible theologians who only read one verse your entire life. It goes on. It says, for what 
For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. Would you agree with that? I think that's true. Hey, listen, if you're going to judge someone, be prepared. For every finger you got pointed out at everybody else, there's three more pointing right back at you. Oh, that's, that works too. That works too when your husband's doing this and you just hold up three fingers. Okay, that's fun. Yeah, hey, for what judgment you judge, you will also be judged. And with the same measure, you use it. If you're vindictful, don't remember, it's gonna happen to you too. If someone does it with anger, if you do it with anger, they're gonna do it with anger back, right back at you. However you do it, it's gonna be measured back to you. It will be measured back to you, okay? Let's go on. It says this, and why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye? But you do not consider the plank in your own eye. Ooh, this thing begins to shift. Because I thought we were just going to stop with don't judge. And yet Jesus goes continuing into this and he, he brings us a little further. And he goes, okay, let, let's do something about the speck in the plank. Why are you making a big deal about the speck in your brother's eye? But you don't realize there's a plank in your eye. Here's some suggestions Jesus gives. Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye and look, a plank is in your own eye. He goes on and he says this, hypocrite, first, everybody say first. first. Remove the plank from your own eye. And then, and then, you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. This beginning is the beginning of this incredible ending to the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus really leans in and he goes, we must understand what real examination is. And the examination that Jesus points out in the judging part of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus points out three things. One thing he says, don't judge. It's true. He absolutely said that. But the word judgment has many meanings. And when you begin to read the whole thing, you begin to understand that there's a self-righteousness that the kingdom of God cannot use. I deal with self-righteousness severely. And they don't make a pill for it. I have tried chill pills. I have tried heather pills. I have tried all kinds of pills. And it just boils down to conviction of the Holy Spirit says you're not in a place in your life right now that you should say anything because you're more self-righteous than helping the kingdom of God. And if you don't know what to do, what to say, you're angry, you're, you're so mad at somebody, you're so furious you can think of the person right now that you would just love to let them have it. I would stop and say, we don't get to go to plan two, 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 two or three until we get one first. And it's the position of we don't judge because there is a self-righteousness that so many of us can carry. But... If we stay there, we could never get here. We've got to learn how to judge ourselves. There isn't one person in this room that doesn't need to think about where your decisions are going to get you. Listen closely. There isn't a farmer in the world that doesn't judge his harvest. There's not a farmer in the world that doesn't judge his seed. There isn't a farmer in the world that doesn't judge the water or the ground. 
And we are fools if we are not judging our life and the produce that is coming from it. You could be in this room making more money than you've ever made in your life. But if you don't judge your life and see that you've got more money than you've ever made in your life, but you're losing your family at the expense of it, then you're losing the most precious thing in life. If you are so great at winning friends, but you're not judging the words that are coming out of your mouth, and you realize that your filthy, nasty, awful talk is winning you the worst friends you could ever have. If you don't judge your harvest, you'll never, ever, ever, you'll never, ever be able to receive the true harvest that our Father in heaven has for you. Does this make sense? Judging is necessary. It's important. It's what you do with your mother-in-law's cooking. Heck, we look at the schools our kids go to. We look at situations. And our lives should be something that we can stop and pause and realize we can't judge others until we first judge ourselves. But judging ourselves and judging the world around us is so necessary. And let me say something real quick. Don't be so quick to judge the world because don't blame worldly people for acting worldly way. And we can't take a Christian law, a Christian way of living and apply it to worldly people. The reality is that if we're not taking what God said and pointing people to Jesus instead of pointing out their wrongs, we're doing it wrong. We should be pointing people to our Father because unless they're saved, even the scriptures don't work. They must surrender their life to Jesus. Quit judging the world. This is the moment we have to start with judging ourselves. Yeah. And then guess what? It says, after you've judged yourself, judge your neighbor. Only after you have judged yourself. And why is that such a big deal? Thank God for godly friends. Thank God for godly friends who can pull you aside and say, hey, I don't think that what you're doing is going to help your marriage. Hey, hey, listen, I don't think the words that are coming out of your mouth are words that God would say. Hey, I don't think the actions you're living are going to bring the life and the kingdom like you really want in your life. And if we keep pushing everybody out of our life that is actually telling us loving truth, well, then how are we ever going to be able to look at our life like a mirror? To be able to adjust the things that need to be adjusted. I know this is hard. I know this is hard because there ain't anybody in the room that wants to be corrected. Come on, that deserved a great big amen. There isn't anybody in the room that wants to be corrected. And for everybody 65 and over, we're really talking to you. The reality is the older we get, the harder it is to change. But this whole beginning is Jesus saying, don't judge unless we're judging our seed for the harvest. And we're not gonna be self-righteous. And the first people we have to judge is ourselves. We cannot in any possible way call the fault out in our neighbor if we first don't call the fault out in us. But then and only then are we able to turn to our brothers and our sisters out of love and kindness, wanting the 
best in their life, to be able to turn to our neighbor and point out some things that maybe we have struggled with. Maybe once we had the plank in our eye, and it could be a speck in theirs, but we know the cost that this sin could lead to, and we know we don't want them to pay it. This is so important. So important for us to recognize that after we've investigated, after we've measured our life, we've weighed it, we've inspected it to see if it was producing Jesus in our life, only then can we really notice if this needs to change. Listen, kiddos, listen. For everybody still living in mom and dad's house, You want to get out as fast as you can. You want freedom. You can't wait to let the good times roll. Let's let bon ton roule. That was... That was Cajun right there in New Mexico. How about that? And we, we, you, can't wait to, you can't wait to receive freedom. But do you realize that for every person in this room, we too, that are older, we once wanted out. And it was only when we got out that we realized how blessed we were to have our parents in our life. If you've ever had godly parents, parents who prayed for you, parents who wanted God's best, parents who encouraged you, parents who pointed out some things and you just felt like, I like the encouragement, I don't like the pointing out stuff. If you ever had a dad turn to you and say, I don't think that's the guy for you. If you ever had a mom turn to you and say, I don't think that's the girl for you. If you ever had an aunt who'd come in and and say, hey, listen, um, I just want you to know I'm believing God's best. And the other day I saw you doing something in town. I saw you at the grocery store doing something that I just don't think was God's best. And you you, you just chose not to like your aunts. Can I turn to you right now and say they loved you and they wanted to protect you. And you can't use the worldly phrase, well, you can't judge me. And let me just tell you that God's put people in your life to be the course correctors and the encouragers and don't push people out when God keeps putting them in. Does this make sense? I can just tell you, I know so many kids who quit the youth group, so many kids who've quit the church, so many kids who walked away from godly instruction because someone convinced them that we were not supposed to encourage and iron sharpen iron each other. And the reality was, is you missed out on some of the biggest miracles God had in store for you because you pushed some really good people away. Do people get it wrong? Do people have funky personalities? Absolutely. People are weird. But Jesus says this. Judging in a self-righteous way is not my best. But in the right way, you're going to find that it brings life and life everlasting. So let's talk about judging yourself. David said it like this. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there is any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. I think this is one of the most beautiful scriptures of a person examining his heart. Saying, God, I will try to convince me of things that aren't good for me. I will try to justify things in my life. But, oh, God, know my heart. And know my heart can be wicked and evil. Test me. Try me. Put me in some bad situations. And then point out when I get in the flesh and ask me why I got into the flesh. 
so that I can examine my heart and realize that flesh is not where God is and this could be an immature place in my life and it's time to change. David nailed it here in Psalms chapter 139. Jesus even points this out a little bit further down when he, asks about, when he talks about our asker. Some of you guys got a great big ask. Okay? And your ask can be broken. It can, you, can, you can have a broken ask. And, and, and Jesus begins to talk to you about, okay, what if you didn't get what you wanted? What if you didn't get what you wanted? And what if you got everything you wanted? Am I the God that just because you asked me in my name am supposed to give you everything you want? But Jesus turns around and he says this, hey, but don't forget, we ask and it'll be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will open to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds and to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Let me tell you, but you, you say, type, God just said I could ask he said you could ask him. And many times we don't get what we want because we do ask God and he doesn't give it to us. And my question I'd like to ask, are you going to go get it anyway? And if you're going to go get it anyway, let me just tell you, I've been there and done it. And it's not God's best for your life. So should you quit asking? Absolutely not. He says, keep coming to me. And keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. And we're going to find it together. There's going to be things in your life that you just give it time and it will go away. But when I don't bring it to you, when it doesn't come in your time, it could be, it is for your best. But this is a maturing process that even our asking reveals a judgment of our immaturity. Does this make sense? And kiddos, let me just turn to you, all the, all the, everybody that's really wanting mom and dad to give you stuff, mom and dad, one of the greatest things you can turn to your kids and say is, I can't give you the things that only God can. And if you can't pray for what you keep expecting mom and dad to give you, you may be really immature in the faith and you're going to have to hear some no's in your life. Where we have to turn to God and have the faith to trust him and believe him and want what he wants for our life. And you should keep asking. You could, should keep seeking. You should keep knocking. But even in it, how do you respond? Judge yourself. I had a young man call me the other day. We actually offered him a job here at Cowboy Junction. And the church that he was at is really going through some tough times. And he turned to me and he said, Ty, I would be absolutely thrilled to get to come to work for Cowboy Junction Church. And I thought, all right, here we go. Let's get you here. And he said, but I can't come. And I said, well, okay, that doesn't make sense. You know this would be a great place to work. And he goes, well, let me tell you. With all this hard time that's happening at the church I'm at, I have gotten really fleshly. And I've gotten really angry. And one night it dawned on me that my reaction to difficult times 
was revealing some immaturity in my heart. And if I came to Cowboy Junction right now to go to work for Cowboy Junction, I would still have not dealt with the immaturity that this difficult season I'm in is revealing in my life right now. He said, I've prayed for God to bring me a job. I've prayed for God to take me to other places. I've prayed for God to open doors. And it hasn't been until I've just surrendered to God, having me where I'm at, even if it's hard, to work on some things that I only get this season for a little bit in my life to change some major character issues in me. And so the answer isn't no. The answer is right now, I can't. Because God has me in a tough place for a reason. And I'm growing up. I thought that was one of the best answers I'd ever received in my life. It didn't give me what I wanted. I threw my sucker in the dirt and I was mad. How did I go pray about it? But what a great answer. He was judging himself and realized he hadn't reached the place that he had been released because there were some character things that needed to change inside of him. We've got to learn how to judge ourselves. Jesus goes on and he talks about judging your neighbor. So judge yourself, judge your neighbor, and look what he says here. Do not give what is holy to the dogs nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear, tear you in pieces. Leave that up there for a minute. This is the verse right after Jesus says, take the plank out of your eye, and once you take the plank out of your eye, then go to your neighbor and remove the speck from his eye. And he says, but there's gonna be people that you're just gonna have to realize you can't bring holy things to dogs. And it even makes me feel funny saying it. Are we calling people dogs? What about the scripture that says don't throw pearls to swine? Are we calling people a bunch of pigs? The reality is, is Jesus is pointing out some people don't value wisdom. Some people don't value truth. Some people don't value what God values. And let me just throw up here something really quick if you've ever felt judged by other Christians, okay? Let's just take it off the table. If you have ever been judged by mean, awful, ugly Christians, we can be in agreement. They shouldn't have said what they said. But if you've ever had someone follow Jesus and come to you and say, I think what God's doing is not gonna happen if you keep doing what you're doing, let me just turn to you and say this. Not everyone sees love as correction. Not everybody is going to see your love for them as love if you correct them. And can I just be honest? I haven't valued people. Because I thought, I thought love meant exception. I thought love meant acceptance. I thought that if you truly loved me, you accepted me. If you really loved me, you'd accept me just the way I am. And over and over and over again in Scripture, you begin to find that if people love you, they'll tell you the truth. And it's not ugly truth, and it's not mean truth, and it's not opinionated truth, but it's coming from Scripture and saying, 
do you see that this is never going to produce God's best in your life? It's weird. This is so weird. It's, it's, it's so weird. Like, Jesus, why can't you just die on the cross for everybody and then everybody like they are, they're instantly saved and no one, it, there's no choosing you. It's just like the whole world's saved. This is weird that we have to choose you and follow you. And then if we want to see the kingdom come alive, we're going to have to be corrected. We're going to have to change. And the reality is that it's fruit. In fact, this is where Jesus gets to a minute ago. Let me go on here for a minute and show you. Not everyone sees love as correction. And Jesus says this. He says, therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do to them also. For this is in the law and the prophets. Let me ask you a question. Would you want someone to help you if they knew the path you, they, that you are on was the path they were once on and it didn't lead to life? And you just haven't got to see that it leads to death. Would you want someone to stop you? And you'd have to be a fool to say, no, 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 I wouldn't want someone to tell me. Even if they'd made the same choice as I'd made, I don't see it as love, I don't see it as help. You would have to be crazy. We just came from Port Aransas. We just came from Port Aransas and I learned a few things. One of the things I learned is they just caught the first or the, the, the new state record bull shark. 900 pounds. Yeah. So we hired a fishing guide and Brady and I went out and we're coming up on this oyster bar. It, it's not an oyster bar, it's an oyster bar. Okay. And so and so Brady and I, you know, we're in the boat, the guy's got this, and we come up on this boat that has nobody in it. Nobody's in it. And we get to look in about 300 yards this way. The guy has got out of the boat. He's got his wading boots on, and he's wading out in about two foot of water, and he's trying to catch redfish. And our guide says, what that guy doesn't know, is last week they caught the new state record bull shark, weighed 900 pounds, Right where he's at. 300 yards from the boat. In which I turned and said, what is that he's dragging behind him? Yeah. And he's got his streamer of fish that he's dragging behind him. So he's casting this way. And he's dragging about three or four fish this way. And they're all streaming blood. And they're all going out this way. And the guide's laughing. The guide's laughing. And the good, loving pastor that I am said, shouldn't we go tell him? And the guide turns and said, no, wouldn't you want to see a bull shark get a guy? And, okay, let me ask you this. Who would you want to tell, who would want be, be, to be your friend? Who wants the guide? Let's laugh at somebody getting attacked by a 900-pound bull shark. Or would you like the loving pastor in your mind, in, in, on your side going, dude, the 900-pound Texas bull shark was caught right where you're at and you're dragging a blood behind you? Some of us in our life don't even know what we're dragging behind us. And some people are laughing at you. 
and others of you are trying to tell you. Have you ever, there's videos on Instagram of guys in Hawaii, I told Brady about it, that have these streamers of fish and then the sharks come along and it's just chaos and they start with the fish and then they work to your leg. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, we should have had the video. <laughs> and we'd like to show you the video now. No, <laughs> no. While we were in Port Aransas, I did a study on the Coast Guard. The Coast Guard is a very, very amazing thing. We don't appreciate it because we live in New Mexico. In 1950, the Coast Guard started saving lives. People didn't value it much because they thought people just needed to take care of themselves. They didn't think that a Coast Guard should be funded by the United States money. But they continued on. By 1939, it began to be such an important figure in American maritime activity that they handed all lighthouse activity to the Coast Guard. So not only were they saving lives, but they were also now in charge to make sure that all the lighthouses worked all across the coast, all throughout the United States. It became more about saving lives and it began to be something that we could prevent accidents. The Coast Guard then in 1996 expanded to be able to inspect vessels. And you would think that inspecting vessels was very uh, invasive, but what the Coast Guard's looking for is not only illegal activity, but like pollution, making the planet better, making sure that people on the ship were safe. If people looked sick, the Coast Guard goes and begins to inspect vessels. In 2006, the Coast Guard began to, to have an active part in homeland security, securing our borders. And over the last many years of the Coast Guard, this is their average. They save 10 lives a day. They aid people in navigating through difficult waters. They prevent pollution. They play a major part in search and rescue. And every day they assist the United States in $8.7 billion of commerce. Which means if in one day, just the Coast Guard alone helps $8.7 billion worth of goods navigate out of the United States territory into open ocean just so that it can have a successful start. And as I was preparing the message this week, and I thought, how appropriate to think about this. I'm gonna wrap this up. And Jesus, Jesus talks about him being the Coast Guard in the path and the fruits and the shock and awe. As I wrap this up, this is Jesus' last and final thing he says about, about judging. And in it, let me just tell you what he says about the path. Don't forget, guys. Enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go through it. Listen, every day people go through the acceptable, wide, you just be you gate. And it only leads to destruction. 
But he says, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way that leads to life, and there are few who find it. This is Jesus' way of stopping and saying, your path has to be judged. Don't curse the harvest if you don't. Don't judge the seed. And there are people in your life who love you and care about you who aren't there to mock you or make fun of you. But Jesus says you've got to have people. You've got to have the ability to judge your life. And if you don't have that ability, he's got people in your life that can have the ability to say, I don't think your life's going to end up where you think it's going to end up. The next thing Jesus says is something really important. He says, hey, you'll, you'll know my followers by their fruit. And now Jesus really starts leaning in here. And I want you to pay attention. Judge them by their fruit. The shock is not everybody who says they're a follower of Jesus are a follower of Jesus. Not everybody who says, well, I go to church and I'm saved are really Christ followers and are saved. Heather and I have had so many conversations about people's fruit. First and foremost, our fruit. If you didn't know us, if you didn't know our hearts, if you didn't know our lives, could you see the evidence of Jesus in Ty and I, Ty and Heather's life by our fruits. And can I turn to you and say one of the conversations that Heather and I have constantly about other pastors, and this is scary, is if you didn't know they were pastors, would you know they were pastors just because of the way they lived their life? And it's scary how many friends we have that you couldn't tell that they even knew Jesus, much less, much less pastor to church. And why is this such a big deal? Because now you're going to see why we buckle our seatbelt. So the very last thing Jesus brings up is this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? He says, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And it's scary. This is one of the most shocking portions of scripture and it should be because this is Jesus causing every one of us to judge our life even the people in the room who would say I've been following Jesus for years I've been going to church my whole life but there is no fruit but there could be there's no life but there could be I can turn to you and tell you this, that in my life, I have recognized I don't know how many times there was no life. And why? Just simply because of the stubbornness of a young man. But it was that judgment that caused me to turn on my heels and realize that I can either live a life of rebellion for the rest of my life, or I could have a relationship with my Father in heaven.
and thank God I chose relationship. The more I was with him, the more he pointed things out in me. The more I was with him, he put me around godly people that pointed things out and encouraged me and pointed me towards different things. There were times I said things and someone caught it and said, you ought not say that. That's not life. And I began to swallow it more instead of speak it more. I've learned how to love the unlovable instead of loving the the lovable. Because somebody turned and said, it's funny how you are always around the people that it's easy to love. But you ought to spend more time with the people that it's harder to love. And I realized that was a weak spot in my life. And all in all throughout my life, I can tell you I have judged myself more than than most. And it has led to some of the godliest, most wonderful decisions. Good job, kiddo. Good job, kiddo. Good job. But the same choice is there for you. I know today's message was long but you got to hear it in its entirety in the way that Jesus gave it and I've never done that before ever in my sermons but before we go I want to show you what Jesus said at the very end of Matthew chapter 7 the very last of the Sermon on the Mount he said this story therefore whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them will be like a wise man whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them will be likened to a wise man who built his house on a rock. And the rains descended, life still happened, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and it beat on that house, and it did not fall. His life, her life did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But then he says this, But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rains descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell and great was its fall. And in the room, can I just turn to you and say, I want you to experience the life that Jesus has for you. This church is here for you to make a decision to choose life, not death. Come on, we gotta gotta build our house on the rock, not on sinking sand. And what's your reaction to this whole Sermon on the Mount? Let me give you their reaction that day. Their reactions were, and the people were astonished. You know why they were astonished? Scripture tells us a little bit further down, they were astonished that he spoke so easily to understand and with such authority. And many chose to follow him that day. Last week, we lost a golf team at USW. This golf team had two young ladies on it. And these two young ladies, I want to get their names right, was Carissa Rains and Lacey Stone. These two young ladies died in this tragic accident. But let me tell you about these two incredible young ladies. They chose to build their life on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. They'd never heard of Cowboy Junction before until someone invited them 
to come and listen to our very first First Wednesday with Earl McClellan. Remember when we brought Earl McClellan in First Wednesday? The girls brought some of the golf team guys, their friends, and they all came. They met CG in the hallway, said it was the coolest thing they've ever been to. They loved it. They just found their church. And we became the church to these two young ladies. And right there, they started volunteering in kids' church. Who volunteers in kids' church when you're going to college? Did you volunteer in kids' church, much less go to church when you went to college? And here's these two young ladies following Jesus, choosing Jesus, serving Jesus. And they had no clue, just like we'd had no clue, that on a golf tournament to Midland, something tragic would happen. Why do I end this story? Because these are two lives who built their life on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. And the fruit was evident as they were even in their young ages pursuing the things of Jesus. There is no question of a doubt. They knew him, they loved him, and they served him. And, and, and I hope this message gets to, these, to the parents of these two young girls. Cowboy Junction Church would love to thank you for sending your daughters to Hobbs, New Mexico, to blessing our children in the way that they did, to being a light like they were with the joy and excitement in the short amount of time that we got to spend time with them. Can I just turn to you and tell you the moment that your daughters walked into heaven, I can tell you the exact words they heard. They heard, well done, my good and faithful servant. Well done. And to this day, they are an example to this church. We are brokenhearted because you're brokenhearted and we hurt because you hurt. But I just want to be able to give some encouragement that when they looked at their life and they were constantly sharpening each other, those two girls, we gotta find a church, we gotta find a place to go, we gotta serve somewhere. They judged each other in the most popular, well, in the most personal way, in the most unpopular way. Kids don't act like that at college. And your daughters did an amazing job in their season here in Hobbs, New Mexico, and they honored the kingdom of God. And we want to say thank you. And it should be an example for us here at Cowboy Junction Church. Father God, today I pray that we would search our hearts. And Father, today I pray that we would recognize the areas that we keep pushing you out of when we should actually be inviting you in. Today, Father, I pray that you would open our ears as we've completed this study of the Sermon on the Mount. Judge us. Examine our heart. See if there's any wicked way in us. And may we choose your path and your life so it would constantly bring us to your presence so that we can be the people you've called us to be. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.